show going, Kat. Yeah, isn't it still going? Oh, yeah, it's still going. Um, It's up till the 26th, which is like around the corner. Wow, but, uh, yeah. We'll see what's going on after that. After that might be more exciting. We'll see what happens. 26th of November? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. That's exciting. That's at Gallery 1988. Or is this for people to hear? I get figured. <laughs> I mean, it's already in there. Sure. Hey guys, go to Gallery 1988 on Melrose. Uh, the address is 7308 Melrose until November 26th, and you can see my artwork. Hey! It's exciting. It is exciting. It's, it's pop culture and uh, action figures. It's stuff. really good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, now, if there's somebody who lives outside of the California area, the Los Angeles area, is there a way that they can support your artwork? Uh, they can come. Well, I'm building a website for the action figures and some T-shirts and some other new stuff coming. Um, but in the meantime, you can go to my Instagram at Son of Dengar at S O N O F D E N G A R Son of Dengar. Come check it out and okay. see your past. <laughs> <laughs> Morphed into something. Yeah. Amazing. See your past. Collide with your future. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's your tagline. See your past. <laughs> well, uh, everybody. Guys... Oh, what? sorry. What? I was just going to say that the green Power Ranger died. Oh, is that part of the business you wanted to get out yeah, of? Yeah, 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 yeah. He killed I mean, himself. Pretty... Yeah. He killed himself, yeah. Yeah, it's super sad. Yeah. Tommy. All right. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. guys. This is for <laughs> Jesus Christ. We always like to start off with a suicide. Just kind of like an update of like, <laughs> hey, this is where we're at. I mean, it's not out of left field for no. a true crime podcast, which is what this is. But uh, just uh, if we're, we are going to keep this in, just the thing so that way people don't think we're cold and callous. Uh, if, you know, if you are experiencing thoughts of loneliness and you don't think anyone understands you, trust me, they do. Please call Suicide Prevention Hotline or reach oh. out. <laughs> um. uh, so we're having technical difficulties this episode so if we, it's if the cash sounds even more like the guy in the back <laughs> it's because we're down to one microphone yeah <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about it <laughs> and if you're wondering what this podcast is you're listening to we're bloody podcast i'm maria felix Along with my co-host Lori Roggenkamp and our resident guest Cash Abdumalik. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome in. <laughs> Have a seat. So usually Maria will bring us a story that she has done a lot of research on. So uh, I look forward to listening to it. <laughs> are you uh, Are you planning to show this podcast to like somebody who is on? brand new to the podcast so you're you're yes you're kind of preemptively explaining yes. what's happening yeah some new people are going to be listening and they're going to be like as if they as if they weren't already confused <laughs> well hey it's it's it, it's potentially new people every time so i mean that that's fair yeah yeah i guess yeah Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right well Lori's Lori's new friends Lori's new friends uh, this is uh, this is a true crime podcast about women in true crime. So let's jump right in. In 1996, 28 year old Clarence Good was a new father, 
And although, although things had not worked out with his baby mama, he was excited to be a part of his child's life. He had just gotten a new job and had just moved out of his cousin Josephine's house. Excited oh, to make... Nice. Yeah, he was excited. He was excited to make a life of his own. I could see that. Independence Day is out in the movie theaters. He's all like, this is going to be a great year. Yeah. That's is all that I know about 1986? Yeah. Clarence's parents had set him down to Maryland from Brooklyn, New York to live with his cousin in the 1980s after he got into one little fight and his mom got scared. We call that pulling a fresh prince. <laughs> he didn't really get into one little fight. That's just part of the song. But his mom was scared. Yeah, his mom was scared. Was he outside playing b-ball? Yeah. Acting so cool? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that always happens. <laughs> Clarence had no trouble staying focused once in a different environment. He finished school and focused on working after graduation. It seems his older cousin Josephine's house was a positive environment. She had already raised six kids, the youngest of which was Clarence's same age and still lived at home. He had been on the street and narrow for so long that friends and family were at a loss when Clarence was found in August of 1996, deep in the dangerous Baltimore neighborhood in the trunk of his own car, shot in the head and with a small bag of cocaine pinned to his underwear. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. Nobody got to use that cocaine. Oh, that's so, <sighs> that's disappointing. Lori. <laughs> Lori. He was oh. the new father, Lori. Yeah. He's, he gets special, special sadness because he was a, a new dad. Yeah. Yeah, that is sad. That is very sad. Also, have you ever ever been in your trunk of your car? It is no. not fun. I have been in mine. Why? You I wanted, have? I wanted to see what it was like. In the Prius? The Prius seems roomy. It was nice in there. <laughs> That's one of the main reasons why I've been, I've always had hatchbacks, because I'm deathly afraid that if I got carjacked, they'd be like, "All right, go in the trunk." Well, they don't do that anymore because now most newer vehicles have a emergency release hatch mm-hmm. on the inside of trunks. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. I hid in my old trunk to scare somebody, um, which which worked out okay. But yeah, this was this was not a Prius. It was a Ford probe. Oh, that's not comfortable at all. Nope. Oof. That's very little oof, trunk space. Oof. Yeah, yeah. oof. It was worth it. Did you get stuck? No, no. I, I got in, I scared them, I got out. I feel like I would have gotten stuck trying to scare them. I would have gotten like, stuck. Like, just, just from, like, the soreness of your leg falling asleep, because it's, like, bent in a certain position to <laughs> stay in there. <laughs> Boo! Oh, God. <laughs> that was like a packaged teddy bear, just arms and legs out forward. And then I was just like, ah! <laughs> That's pretty scary. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that is terrifying. No one really believed that Clarence had been involved in some sort of drug deal. Even the police were skeptical. They said the pinning of coke to your undies isn't something they often see a real drug dealer or even a drug user do. In addition, it was clear Clarence had been placed in the trunk after his death. He had been shot twice, once in the head and in the back, but there was no blood spilled in the trunk. An investigation was opened into his homicide. Hmm. Investigators quickly learned two key things. One, Clarence had a life insurance policy for $100,000 that named his cousin, Josephine Gray, as the sole beneficiary. 
and that Clarence had been having a long-term relationship with his cousin, who was 19 years his senior. That's nasty. Ooh, boy. Yeah. All right. This took a turn. They're, quick, they're blood quick related, turn. right? Yeah. Ugh. Well, they're they're like first cousins, aren't they? Are they? You know, I don't know if if they oh. are blood related or cousins or, or like first cousins. He is a few generations to at least like what? Two generations younger than her. And it is one of those things where everyone is a cousin. You mean a black thing? No, no. Like <laughs> there's other people in this story where the other the other family members, for example, that live in New York are also cousins of Josephine. They're listed as cousins. Ah. So I can't I can't say. And I didn't I can't say that I looked into his lineage to see how which cousin how much removed. I definitely had friends growing up and I'd be like they'd reach a certain tier and then I'd be like, We're cousins now. I don't think that was the case here. They were definitely family. Okay. Nasty. But just like how <laughs> what kind of family, how close is not known. Real close. That is still so weird. What is the what is is what is the how many removed is okay with you, Lori? How many cousins removed? Lori's Lori's one. Lori's one. Under no, un, never under any circumstances. Is it okay? Lori's like brothers and sisters are fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, my brother and I are just friends. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> we do not. We do not like each other that way. Okay. No, I I, <laughs> I, I know some. Uh, not not um. Anytime recently, but I know that in our fa- in our family, I think cousins have like close cousins, like first or second cousins have gotten married to each other. I too have that in my family. Yeah. Super weird. Yeah. Weird. It's probably in mine too. We're all a mess. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun. It's a fun trip down. The- Memory lane when you go like, oh, great, great, great aunt and uncle are were you know related. Yeah, it's really so nice. That's nice. It's mm-hmm. really nice. So Josephine, um, obviously it was the police thought it was a, a a huge like shift in power that Josephine was basically Clarence's caretaker. Didn't really seem to have like an issue with the incest part. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, they there was a power dynamic problem. Because she's so much older than him and has basically been like his guardian for the last few years. And that's kind of what they like started looking into. And, and you know, that the life insurance policy named her. Right. As a sole beneficiary. So police started looking into Josephine and quickly discovered that she had a sordid history, to say the least. Josephine, born 1946, was known to the public as a church-going mother who had been a school custodian since 1967. That same year, she married a man named Norman Stribling. Together, they had five children. But seven years later, in 1974, Norman was dead. Before he died, Norman told friends and family he had discovered that Josephine was having an affair. And he also started telling them that he believed his life was in danger. He said he had woken up with her, with Josephine pointing a gun to his head. Oh my God. 
see that kind of stuff always makes me let chuckle a little bit because it's like then you know and then they're like all right bye see you later <laughs> like they go home <laughs> yeah like all right well have fun with your wife all right see you later tough, nobody's buddy. ever just like get the fuck out of there go come live at my house mm-hmm. yeah 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 apparently not maybe they were because he didn't move out or try to move out no sorry sorry he did not he didn't get it he didn't get a chance to no mm. So, yeah, he did go home. <laughs> but they also have five kids. Well, So his I mean, situation changes a little. Let this be a lesson to people who are listening. If you're in a bad relationship and you're like, I got to bide my time and try and figure this out, don't figure it out. Just bolt. Yeah. You know bolt. why? Because while you're biding your time trying to figure out what to do, they're biding their time trying to figure out what to do. Or well. uh, how, to, how, to keep, how to keep you there. <laughs> yeah, how to, how to keep you there, how to get ready for you. Yeah. And yeah. so you can't go with anyone. So just, you know, I mean, we're not, we can't get into the, the whole issue with abuse, but it's just like, yeah, try as fast as you can, as best you can, get the hell out of there. Get out of there. <laughs> we love you. And if some a friend comes to you and says, I think my wife is trying to kill me, help them. <laughs> Don't just go, ah, that sounds terrible. All right. Well, see you later. <laughs> just. I'm gonna go. That's like that Killer Sally documentary where the the guys' friends are are, are like, sh- <laughs> they keep talking shit about Sally and saying that she always seemed violent and and murderous, and then they that they never really like warned the guy, mm-hmm. even if yeah. they did think that. Like they were just like, ah, she she's cool, man. And then behind her back, they're like, ah, she's fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that guy, uh, DJ Jeffers. DJ Jeffers, I yeah. I can't forget that name because it's just so stupid. He's all yeah. like, oh, yeah, man. Every single time they got into an argument, I would just step out. I would just get away from him. It's like, you know some shit's about to go down. Just do the steroids. We're getting off topic here. Let's go back. To- Let's go back. Okay. Josephine was most definitely having an affair. She had met a man cleaning offices named Robert Gray, and the two had apparently fallen in love. Not only was their love stifled by the fact that Josephine was married with five kids, but so was Robert. Robert had been married to his wife, Frances Gray, for a pretty long time, and together they had five children. Damn! Frances told the Washington Post that before his affair began, Robert had been completely devoted to his family. He loved his children and always took the two youngest with him everywhere. But around the time that the affair began, Robert became distant, and she said his entire demeanor had changed. Then in March, Norman was found dead by a single gunshot in his car on a road that led back to to his house. Norman had left Josephine as the sole beneficiary of his life insurance policy. But two weeks after Norman had died, Josephine, Robert, and Josephine's brother were arrested for the murder of Norman. Shortly thereafter, they were all just released and the charges dropped. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Like a bag full of squirrels. The cops are just like, go, go, yeah, get out of here. Go. Yeah. Get out of here. The rocks. To yeah. make them go away faster. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Look at him go. Look at him run in the park. You did it. <laughs> Witnesses who were at first cooperating suddenly refused to testify or corroborate any more statements. Time passed and like a couple months passed and then Josephine filed a claim for Norman's life insurance policy that paid her out $16,000, which is around $96,000 today. Mm. It's almost 100K. Joe and Robert then used the money to buy a house together. I'm calling her Joe now because Josephine is a mouthful. Josephine <laughs> sounds too classy. It makes me think of Josephine Baker. Yes, nice. sure. You know, yes. Josephine is nice. Yeah. Joe. <laughs> Joe and Robert used the money to buy a house together. And it's just insane to me because, like, the killers are, are right there. They're just there. She's just existing. Now that she has paid out, now she has the insurance money, she's bought a fucking house, but there's no hard evidence for the police to prove the murder with. And no one willing to testify. What's nuts about this, too, is that it, this relationship and the whole thing has essentially destroyed 10 additional lives. Yeah. <laughs> besides, yeah. The, besides the main four people involved. It's yeah. like, that's just so fucked up. Well, and then Josephine and Robert also have a child of their own. Eleven. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing that's the worst part is that, I mean, look, I, I don't want anyone to die. You know, I think that that's horrible. But at the same time, it's like, you know, like they were in the relationship. They were, you know, they were involved with this woman. I'm not saying that they deserve it, but they chose to be in this relationship, right? The mm-hmm. kids did not choose for their father to be in this relationship. Exactly. So, yeah. So it's like they're the. I mean, it, to be honest, they're like the true victims. I mean, the the man didn't deserve to die, but you know, he for whatever reason felt the need to be in this relationship with his cousin, with this woman, <laughs> and so you know, it's just uh, the kid. The it breaks my heart for those kids that they had to go through all that. Yeah. Well. I will say that in this story, it does depend who you talk to, whether or not he chose to be in the relationship. Really? Okay, well, I take back everything I just said. (laughs) Because the police kept wondering, why is everyone so scared to talk about it? And the whispers that Josephine practiced voodoo finally reached the police. Potential witnesses later explained that Josephine intimidated people into not talking with threats of spells and curses if they gave her up. It was apparently known information by everyone around her that she was a witch. Even her, fam- even her family up in New York, Len Ron and Sheila, knew there was something about their creepy auntie. Len Ron? Len Ron. Like Enron, but with a e, yeah, a L. L. Yeah. That's a great name. Lenron Good. Lenron Good! <laughs> I'd like to point out that Cash is laughing at that and nobody else. <laughs> I am staying stoically silent. We don't find this funny. I don't wrong. Lenron and Sheila told the New York Post that when. This is later. This is after everything's happened, but still. They told the New York Post that when Josephine would come up to visit, she would frequent a black magic shop up in Flatbush. 
plenty of those. Yeah. Plenty of those. A lot, a lot of uh, Haitian uh, immigrants live in Flatbush. So maybe that's part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. The thing is, too, if if there are whispers of, of voodoo or, you know, witchcraft of any kind surrounding somebody, it's not often that you're going to see it documented, like, on some kind of court record. Maybe police record, but... Not a court record, because it's not really super admissible in court, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these are like a few of these tidbits, but not all of them. Some of them have hard evidence. A few of these tidbits are um, hearsay and, you know, goss from Lenron and other cousins in New York. I don't believe that Lenron would lie. I don't know why, but I just feel like he is an honest man who, <laughs> who has told the, tr- the truth most of his life. <laughs> He's a stand-up gentleman. Yeah. Sheila also claims, once again, she claims this now, that once she accompanied Josephine to a house when she was out in Maryland with her, where another woman handed Josephine something and said, put this on your husband and he will scratch himself up. Sheila says that she later witnessed Norman and Josephine arguing before he died, obviously. And when he was about to push her down a set of stairs, he, insta- he instead started scratching at his own face in a frenzy. Ooh. Oh, okay. So it was like a, instead of hurting her, he hurts himself. Yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. So Josephine and Robert were shacked up. They have their own kid now, and they're married. Life goes on until the late 1980s. When Clarence moves down from New York to stay with his cousin. By 1990, Robert Gray had moved out. Robert had found out about the affair between Josephine and Clarence. And the straw that broke the camel's back was when Josephine chased Robert through the house with a gun. Robert had jumped from their second story balcony to escape. Oh shit, wow. He's like, I'm out. I'm not going that's, back. That's crazy. Well, good for him. Yeah, don't. Don't come back. He yeah. got out. That's a, you know what? That's a deal breaker. That's- <laughs> it's, yeah, definitely a deal breaker. You know, it was funny because I was imagining her chasing him with a gun, just being like, ah, but you got to shoot a gun. <laughs> that's what makes She's just like, has <laughs> yeah, it behind her. Ah, still, <laughs> still terrifying either way. It's pretty scary. But the bangs also help. Yeah. That would that would get me out of a window. Oh my god. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Gun on the ha- gun in the house, gun on the spouse. On the hey. House. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just make that up or is that yeah. a real thing? Oh, okay. You just made that up, right? I just made that up. Pretty solid. Huh? Oh, Great. cute. That's our new sticker. Yep. That's gonna be NRA is gonna be <laughs> They're gonna love it. that very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Norman, Robert told his friends and family that he was afraid Josephine would kill him, and he asked them for help. He managed to get his own apartment, and it was like something had changed inside of him once he got out of the house. He got in contact with his kids and with Francis again. Hmm. He hadn't talked to them for a long time. They even threw him a welcome home party. Frances said she felt like he had finally come back to them. Oh, that's sad. She speculated that maybe Josephine had been feeding him something, 
and that once he was out of her house, he broke the spell of control. She's just speculating. She doesn't know. Now go do that voodoo that you do so well. In August of 1990. <laughs> I don't know why I just immediately wanted to be like, hey, now you're an all-star. Get the game on. <laughs> That's not the go right song. Play. I'm not even sure of the first song, but I know it's not that song. No, I know, but I just feel like for some reason it tied well. Hedley, That's my... Hedley Lamar says it in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> in August of 1990, Robert filed charges alleging that Josephine had threatened him at his work with a knife. He also filed charges against Clarence, saying that Clarence had threatened him with a 9mm handgun outside of a restaurant. On the day of the trial, they followed him home. So, like, they go, like, to, like, set, like, I don't know, one of the, one of the trial dates for this first trial. And it gets continued. Nothing happens that day. And then they follow him home from the courthouse. And Josephine pulls up next to him. And Clarence sits up from the reclined seat and points a gun at him. Robert throws the fucking car into reverse and barely makes it out of there in time. Fucking hell, that is awesome. He reports... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was very That was, was ill-timed. That's also our sticker. <laughs> wow. Late. Wow. It's just going to be a, it's going to be a sticker with two dots with three dots. And then at the very end, it's going to say W-O, but the, the W's cut out because we didn't have enough room. <laughs> we were too late. <laughs> he reports this to the police who issue a warrant for the arrest of Josephine and Clarence. In between all this, I should say, he also removes her from his life and death insurance policies. But there remains two more, one of, it, one of which police would later allege that he never even knew about. So two more life insurance policies in Robert's name. Jeez. That's How still... are life insurance people allowed to do that? I mean, it's just, you always hear about that and it's just like, what, you know. I have no idea. I have no, I have no clue. Idea. It seems like super shady. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's just, I feel like life insurance is just a real, real uh, killer in this. It's just they know mm-hmm. what yeah. they're doing. Mm-hmm. They know what's happening. But they they do know what's happening because like since Norman's death already, they're like, this is weird. But they can't because they can only follow what the police are saying because we'll see like by Robert's murder that afterwards the insurance companies are like, we know that she murdered her husbands, but nobody's arresting her, so we <laughs> have to keep paying her out. Like. I don't know. We know she did it. You're, we all know she did it. We're not cops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not cops. We can't arrest her. We have to pay her. <laughs> Make it pay her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, just, they just are always like, wow. hello. How are you? Just very like curt with her. <laughs> yes. She really felt that. I think she really felt that. In November of 1990, a week before the new trial between Robert and Josephine and Josephine Clarence, he was found dead, shot in his apartment with a forty-five caliber gun. Immediately following the murder, witnesses discredited Josephine's alibi, 
confirmed that they had seen her with a 45 caliber gun and a 45 caliber bullet was found in her purse. But nothing came of it. Once again, witnesses slipped through investigators' fingers and eventually the life insurance policies that she that were left paid out the mortgage on their house, which Josephine then sold for a profit. She continued to live with, her, with Clarence, and a short time later, she moved in her new boyfriend, Andre Savoy. More on Andre oh. later. <clears throat> wow. It's such a crazy... It's such a crazy thing to just be... Well, I mean, he's also... He's moonlighting as her lover. He's a, he's her like you know beneficiary and her cousin. Yeah. But then she's like, "We'll still fuck, but I got this other guy, so be cool." Yeah. And that's just like, ugh. But then, like in those situations, like it never. It's not like it's a secret. The other like Andre is obviously gonna find out. Like mm-hmm. you live in the same house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on in there? Nothing. <laughs> Doing the dishes. Doing the yeah. Doing the (laughs) bedroom. In the bedroom. (laughs) It's It's dish prep. Yeah. Yeah. Let me come in and see. I'm staring at the dishes. (laughs) Also, you keep screaming to give it to you long and strong. So I'm not sure what that has to do with dishes. That's Dawn power soap. Yeah, Dawn. Dawn and strong. Why are you both in there? (laughs) There's a lot of dishes. Yeah. We had a party. We all right, well, you've, you've answered all my questions. I can't. Bye. <laughs> back Bye. To, back right. to watching Maury Povich. <laughs> also in 1990, so to your point about how she hurt 11 other people, mm-hmm. Norman and Robert's children tried to press charges against Josephine, but were unsuccessful. Uh, she would later dismiss this to her by saying that anything that her children were saying was just because because they were mad at her because she wasn't paying enough attention to them. Hmm. It's also odd, you know. She's not like there's there's no clear evidence against her that can prosecute her. Nobody's willing to testify. All these court proceedings begin like continue failing against her. It's also I feel like it's just that. Like, I think we, as we see the police, if they truly want to convict someone, they will make it happen. And so it just seems like they just don't care. You know, they're just like, well, we don't have enough to convict. So whatever. We're just going to move on. You know, one thing, too, is that <clears throat> and I'm not making an excuse for the police ever. Um, Baltimore in the 90s. Was crazy violent. It's a pretty crazy place. Crazy, it's it's violent now. It's still violent now, but in the nineties, in particular, it was fucking nuts. So, I mean, yeah. maybe there was just so much going on where they were just like, "Hey, fucking," as long as there's not bodies piling up over here, you know, crack is at a fucking full t- full tilt, and there's just bodies yeah. everywhere, all over Baltimore. So maybe that had something to do with it. And they probably were just like, but she doesn't yeah. live in Baltimore. Like, I think she lives outside of Baltimore, so to be fair. Hmm. And, like, his, Clarence's body ends up in Baltimore. Oh, right, yeah, because that's where all the action is. Yeah. I, I, um, I wrote it down. I can't find it. I think it was called, I, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's Greenbelt. 
which it is, which hmm. maybe is close to Baltimore. Rebuild. That's not that's not an excuse. That <laughs> is what I'm saying. Hmm. And I remember she also always tended to live in nicer houses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe that, but again, that's part. Maybe that's part of it. Where they're like, oh, she's just whatever. We don't have time to deal with this crazy housewife sure. kind of thing. Sure. Or, but maybe they were trying. That's what I'm saying. We don't know. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, we shouldn't speculate that they weren't trying. And maybe, maybe her voodoo was working. Maybe. But probably not. But you never know. (laughs) So anyway, a friend of Josephine's, Wilma, would later testify that in the year 2000, four years after Clarence's death, so now it's three murders, and she's still scot-free four years later. Mm Mm-hmm. Josephine admitted to Wilma her part in all the murders. After becoming close, she told her that she killed Norman because she was tired of being abused by him. Which to me makes sense because if the thing Sheila is saying is true, that Norman was about to push Josephine down a set of stairs, mm-hmm. maybe that was true. Maybe she, did, maybe she did kill him because she was tired of being abused by him. She said that she had shot him in his car during an argument. She then said that she had help killing Robert from Clarence. As for Clarence, she felt she had to kill him because he was trying to blackmail her. He wanted some of the insurance money he had helped her get. You know, the the first one sounds excusable because it's like an abusive situation. Not that I'm not that I'm saying murder is, you know, valid or. It's like Dexter, where you're just finding reasons yeah. to kill somebody. Yeah, she's like, this is the next tableau for yes. this next situation. My dark <laughs> passenger is aboard. Yeah. You just keep justifying <laughs> your kills. A lot of serial killers do that. And that's the thing is, like, she's, she's now she's at three. She's a serial killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pure rationalization. I, and I feel like I do this a lot, so I just want to make it clear. I do not condone killing. You should not kill somebody. No. But if you are going to, and then the, you find out that the cops have no evidence, very little evidence to convict you, and your witnesses keep not wanting to testify, don't then confess to somebody. But keep she's it, to that keep point. It, keep your mouth shut. Maybe. Keep your mouth shut. We don't know a lot about Wilma. Wilma could have you know, been like, I'm down. I am also a voodoo priestess, and also I have killed. And then, like, she was like, yeah, I've killed. And then, like, Josephine goes in the back and comes back with hard proof that she's killed three people. And Wilma was like, shit. It was like, oh, I was just, I just like you a lot. I was just, <laughs> I just wanted to be friends. I thought you were really cool. I was just, I was just joking. Yeah. That's, 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 that's. So it's clear that Clarence start, was starting to see what was going to happen to him next. Mm-hmm. Josephine had Clarence take out a life insurance policy. But after an incident where she threatened him with a knife, he closed the bank account that paid the insurance policy. He then moved out. Hey. He tried to get out. He's number two. He's technically number three. Norman tried to get out. He just didn't. He, you know, each guy is getting farther, slightly farther and farther. Yeah. So he moves out and he's bouncing around to anyone who would give him a place to stay for a while. The insurance policy mailed him a 60-day cancellation notice at his old address. Uh-oh. Ooh. The prosecution would later assert 
that Josephine received this letter and Josephine receiving this letter is what prompted her to kill Clarence in an attempt to collect on the insurance before the 60 days were up. On the day he died, Clarence had been staying with his sister. He told her he was going to see Josephine at her house. Just obviously. It's just so obvious what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in September, after the murder, that was in August, Josephine filed a claim with the insurance provider. But the provider refused to pay as they were like, no, you're a suspect in the murder of this guy. So we, we think it was you. But then once again, two years passed and nothing was done. No arrests were made in Clarence's death. She settled with the insurance company. She filed another claim. She was like, see, I haven't been arrested. So obviously it's not me. Give me my money, please. And they were like, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> she ended up having to settle with them because they were still like, oh, it's probably her. So they did like a special settlement, but still she got around another 100000 Investigators still didn't have enough evidence, obviously, but they say that they try everything they could. They took chunks of flooring from her garage that appeared stained with blood for examination. They planted listening devices in her house. They exhumed Norman's body. And they recorded conversations with Josephine and a voodoo doctor on the phone. And the lead investigator on the case even listened in while they were doing a ritual that involved cursing him. Which is nuts. Which sucks. Sucks to hear. But none of this is admissible as evidence of a murder. Oh, jeez. Do you think it sucks to hear them doing the voodoo ritual about you because they're doing the ritual or because they're also saying petty things about you as it's happening? I think it's just a little bit, a little bit of both. Would they be saying petty things about you? I mean, I mean, I would imagine so. I oh, mean, okay. I don't think... I think they would be cursing you. Like Curse Cash with his stupid, dumb hair and his little feet. <laughs> Like, oh, no, I think my feet are small. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they have all your insecurities. They that would know. be. Yeah, they just tie into your insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awful. If like or if you found out that one of the the one of the things that you have you're really self conscious about is because mm. of a curse. Like if they were like, How do you like those tiny hands? I'd be like, What? No, you did this. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> ah, she elbows for life. <gasps> it was you. What a slight inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, as for Josephine's current living boyfriend, Andre, at first, he refused to say anything about Josephine at all. A neighbor reported that Andre rarely went out without Josephine. And a few times, Andre had gotten locked out of his house and couldn't get back in, and when asked why, he explained that he wasn't allowed his own set of keys for the house. So really, really abusive behavior on Josephine's part. Yeah, very controlling. It took some time, but eventually police found out that a life insurance policy had been taken out 
for Andre's life. <laughs> oh, no, dude. And when they presented him with this information, Andre started singing a different tune, realizing he was about to die like the rest of them. Smart, man. He testified that Josephine showed him Clarence's life insurance policy and promised to buy him a new Mustang GT with part of it. She didn't buy the Mustang. No. But she did take out the insurance policy on Andre with her friend Wilma's help. By and large, Josephine remained... Oh, yes. I have a question. Wilma already fucking talked to the cops. Does, Wilma would testify later in court. I'm kind of oh. jumping around. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. That makes sense. Got it. Wilma Got hasn't it. talked Got to it. the cops right. at this point because she does have the info. Mm. She does already know. Okay. Uh, I didn't put it in here, but at, like at... She does already know because when the cops come to her after they talk to Andre... Um, she thinks that Andre might have been dead, and that's why the cops were showing up. Like she immediately asked about, "Is Andre dead? Did Josephine kill Andre?" And she's like, "I thought he might. I thought she might have already killed him too." <laughs> Not gonna endure their life. Wilma, is Andre dead? Did he kill Andre? They're <laughs> like, we could you keep elaborate, please? <laughs> no, I'm good. Thank you, officer. No, Thanks, no. Bye. <laughs> We're life insurance people. Oh, okay. <laughs> By and large, Josephine remained untouchable. And the professionals had to really scratch their heads for a while. It had been five years after Clarence's death. And they finally figured maybe they would try one of their own tricks. They focused on the Slayer Rule in law, which in Maryland states that someone who participated in the murder of the deceased cannot benefit from any insurance policy in their name. Makes sense. About time. (laughs) (laughs) This allowed the state to take the case to federal court and charged Josephine with insurance fraud and U.S. mail and wire fraud because if state murder charges weren't sticking, federal charges always do. Mm. The prosecution said they would prove that Josephine knowingly lied to insurance companies, having been an active member in all three of her partner's murders and using the U.S. mail system and bank wires to benefit from their debts. So they arrested her based on this. Mm. And then they gathered the evidence. The trial took place in late 2001. And Josephine was found guilty on five counts of mail fraud, three counts of wire fraud, and ordered to pay around $107,000 in restitution and an $800 fee. Which all of which, all of which doesn't sound too bad. Because you're like, oh, fraud was fraud. But she got 40 years in federal prison. Oh, good. And at her age, that's pretty much like a life sentence, right? Yeah, almost. Yeah, pretty much. She's currently held at a minimum security facility in Texas. And she is 75 and will be eligible for release in 2037 at the age of 91. God damn. And I bet that like when she walks through a crowd, everyone walks, goes, goes to the wall. <laughs> like they, they let her through. Like yeah. she, everyone's scared to death of her. <laughs> Technically, no charges in the death of Clarence Good were ever filed. That's a shame. It's really sad. 
and the other charges were dropped. So three men are dead, and uh, there's no, there's justice, but there's not for their murders, which is it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's like loophole justice, like when they took a, yeah that mobster to jail for not paying his taxes. Which is what pretty much yeah, it's what they it's what they did. Yeah, they used yeah. they they say Al Capone. Yeah, Capone. yeah. They said that, you know, this is often the way that they get people on racketeering charges, basically. Mm. She's a powerful, well, she might She might be a powerful witch. She could it, be. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot harder to get your witch stuff in prison. I don't know. You think so? You can get anything in there. She's also in minimum security prison. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. she could. Yeah. I'm sure you could also make a lot of that stuff, too. Sure. That's true. Chicken bones? So. Yeah, you just get crafty with what you're willing to, you know. It's the toilet wine of uh, necromancer or whatever. <laughs> Summoning <Yes>. spirits. <laughs> yes. Chicken bones from the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Eggshells. Combs. Combs you could still get from commissary. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you would do for graveyard dirt. Ramen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Bloody Podcast. And we will be back very soon. Yes. All right. Bye, everyone.